All right, Matthew chapter 7, if you will. We're gonna, I want to finish the chapter this evening. We're going to start back here in verse 15, kind of where we left off last week, and we ran some stuff very quickly at the end. I want to go through it again, but on a little slower basis, and then try and finish up the chapter if we can. If we don't, we don't, but I think we can, because the rest of the chapter, after the warning here, is rather straightforward again some things to say but not too much so 715 beware of faults of prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves ye shall know them by their fruits do men gather grapes or thorns or figs of thistles even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Duh. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. I, I read this, I go, what are you going to say to that, you know? Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And that's the section here where now he begins to warn them about the false prophets and really how to identify the false prophets are, uh, come back to Jeremiah chapter 14, Jeremiah 14. And if, we, if I repeat from last week, uh, that's okay. Um, we need to do that. But I just, to get the flow of the thought to finish out the chapter here, the false prophets are going to try and lead these people down the wrong path. We just saw up there straight gate and the wide is the gate and the narrow is the way and all of that we saw last time. And they're going to try to get them to go at, go down the wrong into the wrong gate so really the false prophets are in the uh, in apostate israel that's where they're at jeremiah 14 14 then the lord said unto me the prophets prophesy lies in my name i sent them not neither have i commanded them neither spake unto them there prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart so again these folks show up and god didn't send them he didn't commission them they go out there on their own come back to matthew and then come over to matthew 10 they they come back on they go out there on their own they're outside of the little flock and they're trying to get the little flock uh, to to lead them to destruction so the Lord tells them, beware, pay attention, watch out, stay away from the false prophets. Identify them, know who they are, and stay away from them. I, I, it's amazing to me, even today in this age, Paul says the same thing. Mark and avoid them that walk contrary to the doctrine. They cause divisions, the, the Romans uh, 16, verse, 17 verse. They, and yet, what do we do? Oh, yeah, we know that they teach bad doctrine, but yet we still hang out with them. And it's like, that's not, well, a little leaven, leaven at the whole, yeah, well, I can get rid of the lump, the, the leaven. I can still be their friend. I'm not, and, and yet Paul is very clear that there's to be separation. And again, it's, and today it's designed to be done in the local assembly. So when things here are happening, and it's like, okay, look, these guys are teaching false doctrine, and then yet you still go hang out with them. All you're, you're not, you, you are defeating the purpose of separation. You are, you know, because they're separate. The, the, the issue of separation, Paul will say, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Well, the re, well, if they enjoy fellowship, being a part of the group. They go into false doctrine, they're removed from the group, and they don't have fellowship, then they're going to do what? Okay, hang on a minute, maybe I ought to rethink this. But not if you're still hanging out with them. So, but, but they don't go to this church, so you're good, you're fine. But I'm talking about here, yeah. Uh, you, you, what you do in that scenario... That's, that's okay. I'm talking about here in this local assembly. If I said, Paul, 
is teaching false doctrine, avoiding, and Dwayne says, hey, Paul, let's go to lunch. Now that's the defeating of causing Paul to come to a place where, hey, maybe what I did think there is not right, and let's fix it. Or he may say, you know, forget it. That's what I'm talking about. There has to be, and that's what, because that's what the Lord's doing here in Matthew 7. Now, Paul's not teaching false doctrine. Let's get that on the tape, okay? All right? But that's the idea. And here in 7, when he says, hey, beware of them, Matthew 10, look at verse 6, 10, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, that's going to be their, their wolves in sheep's clothing back in 7.15, okay? Then he says, Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. These guys are wolves, and they're the false prophets. Then he says, verse 17, Beware of men. Well, what kind of men are they? Wolves. False prophets. So when you, when you look at that, come back there to chapter 7, what the Lord's doing with his kingdom, they have to, again, this is a little flock that's being set up and taught and, and commissioned and moving, and they have the, king, the tribulation and the kingdom on their mind. That's what they're going through. That's their mindset. They're, they have no clue about the interruption of the program. They, all they see is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and we got to get there. we got to go down through this. If you think about this, they've got to go through three years, three and a half years of the Lord's ministry, a year in early Acts, so we're at four, seven years of the 70th week, so we're at 11. So they're looking at this going, we got maybe 12 years to get to the kingdom. We can do this. I mean, if you think about them, now after the resurrection, he opens their understanding to the kingdom. Now think about that, because they don't get the three-and-a-half-year thing yet. He sits there in Acts 1, has a 40-day conference with them, preaches to them, thing, opens their understanding about some of the kingdom stuff, and they sit there and they go, dude, we got eight years. We can do this standing on our heads. That's, that's their attitude. That's their push. That's why they would go sell everything and do it without even batting an eye, because what's at the end of the aisle? The kingdom. But he says, look, guys, you've got to beware. Beware of the false prophets, the false teachers, because he's going to be sending that little flock out in the midst of that apostate nation out there. And that apostate nation, by the way, considers these folks to be foolish, considers them to be a foolish nation. They're going to try to, they're going to persecute them, Acts 1 to 7. They're going to try to get rid of them. They're going to try to do everything they can to shut them up. That's why when Herod King kills the Apostle James, that was done to please the people. Later on in that passage, he turns around looking for Peter. If he could have got his hands on Pete, Peter would have been hanging, would have been dead. They're doing everything they can to shut them up. That's what he's talking about here. Hey, guys. You're going to be the leaders of Israel here, of that little flock, but the leaders of Israel out there, they're the false prophets, and you've got to pay attention. You've got to be aware of them. Now, come over to Matthew 24. The context of Matthew 24, uh, you, you start there in verse 6 down to verse 10. Actually, the, really the section here is about the second coming. And the, end of the, and the end of the world and all that, verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Verse 15, when ye therefore see this, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. That's Daniel 9, talking about the Antichrist. He's come in, he's on board, the peace policies are running now the middle of the week, the midst of the week, he's assassinated by the left-handed guy, and off he's laid, and out there he goes. Then in the third day, he resur he's resurrected by the, by the de demon out of the bottomless pit, comes in and gets him and resurrects him. Now he's Superman. Then he sits 
2 Thessalonians 2, sitting on the throne is God causing all that's worshipped to come to him because he just rose up. There's the Messiah. There he is. And you know what? Right in the middle of all that, look at verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, many false prophets, and they're going to deceive many. So in that tribulation period, there will be a concerted effort by the false prophets to deceive the people. If you come down to verse 24, by the way, the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, the 70th week of Daniel doesn't start until Israel signs the accord with the Antichrist, okay, which is Revelation 6, those four horsemen pictures and everything. And when that happens... The Antichrist causes within 220 days for the temple, Solomon's temple, to be built. 220 days to build that thing. What he's going to do is he's going to walk up there, Temple Mount, the Holy Mount, and he's going to wipe all that nonsense off. The Mormons are gone. The Muslims are gone. They're all gone. Because he's promised Israel, I'm going to take care of your enemies for you. Watch me do it and he cleans them all out, defeats the king of the south, which is Egypt, cleans them all out. 220 days later, there sits their temple, causes temple worship to begin again. What does Hebrews say? Don't go to up there to that old system. We're going to the new covenant. Don't you go back up there. That up there is wrong now. We're going this way. That's Moses. We're going to Messiah. See, that's what Hebrews does. Hebrews, that other transitional book, in your script, in your New Testament, is, isn't from body to Israel. It's from old covenant to new covenant. Don't go back up to that old. We're going on to the better. When they do that, guess who's going to pop up? The many, the many false prophets. What are they saying? Hey, look, he established temple worship again. But in the midst of the week when he's resurrected, do you know what he causes to cease? The daily sacrifices. All that temple stuff stops. Okay, now look at verse 24, Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. By the way, notice the plurality. It's not just one, it's many, many. Um, and uh, shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Isn't that interesting? First of all, they're going to do great signs and wonders. We're going to see in a minute in Matthew 7, where by their fruits you shall know them. And what are they out there doing, these guys? The healing program. Healing everybody, doing things. Don't ever let anyone tell you that a false bad guy, or the, the devil, Satan, or any of them can't do a miracle. Because when we get down there, we'll see that, guess what they do? They can do them. But, you got, but the believing remnant have those tests. And the tests are what's going to help them. It's what's going to get them out. So when you come back here, these people, they're claiming to be the Messiah in the tribulation. That's what they're claiming to be. And, he, and, and the fact is that the Lord here, Christ, doesn't want that little flock to be deceived into following them. So he says, beware. And hopefully you get that. You see, these fellows are going to come down here, and they're going to do great signs and wonders. And again, you know, you know what? Run over there just for the sake of doing it. Revelation 13. Just real quick here. Revelation 13. Revelation 13. <clears throat> There's a, in, in Matthew 7, when we get down to it in verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's going to look at him and he goes, You are workers of iniquity. I don't know you. They are Israelites. They are of the seed of Abraham, but they've rejected him. They're of that apostate nation. They're going to be doing this stuff. And that believing remnant is going to be under attack. Revelation 13, 13. And he, and he, okay, so that's going to be, this is the false prophet 
This is verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. By the way, when John says beast, okay, first of all, you've got Satan, the dragon. Notice he says, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Then he says another beast, but the first beast is usually a capital B. This one's a little b. That, when he says that, that is the way that God sees these guys. It's beast. Mankind looks at them, and they're Superman. There's Superman, there's Batman, there's Fabio, there's all of it. There's the gorgeous-looking hunks. See, man looks at them that way, and the Lord says, no, they're beast. Because the Lord is looking at the... the, the the innard side, the, the character side. Okay, verse, what did I tell you? Verse 13. And he, so this fault, the false prophet, doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. They're, they are, he is actually up there manipulating the natural sciences out there to make this stuff happen. Come over to chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 14, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There's your unholy trinity. Balaam, Balak, and Baal. There they are. The, the Satan, the dragon, there's the father, the beast, there's the son, the false prophet, there's the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, for they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole earth to gather them to, do, to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. He goes out there. These guys are using this stuff. Come back to Matthew 7. And, he, it, and it's all designed to get the kingdoms of the world to send their armies and represent them on the battle of Armageddon, the, that battlefield. And the Lord says, bring them on. That's okay. I need them, I need them there because I'm going to clean them out. And that's what they do. Now, so go back to Matthew 7 here. And, and really, that's, what's going, that's the warning. Hey, beware of the false prophets. Beware of what's going on. So, again, when you drop down let me and you look at that, that's what's transpiring here. Now, come over with me one time to Deuteronomy 13. Let's just go there real quick here. Deuteronomy 13. This issue of false prophets is nothing new within the, 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 the nation of Israel. Okay. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast known. So the prophet shows up, and he actually produces a sign, a wonder, a miracle. It's supernatural, it's real, it's not bogus, okay? I, my, my neighbor, years ago, she was a big Benny Hinn follower, and she was sick. Her mom was sick with cancer, and they found it in her and all this stuff, and they literally followed that man around the country, then down into Mexico trying to get healed, okay? And she got in line, and before she could get there, he was done, said amen, and closed the meeting down. You know, and she was, she was, you know, oh, it was such a great time. And I said, well, why didn't he just speak the word for everyone left in line? Oh, well, he's got to touch us. I said, so then walk the line. What's the deal? Paul sends a handkerchief through the mail and heals the guy when he touched it, you know, and she didn't appreciate my bluntness with her. But uh, Dad had a friend years ago. He's with the Lord now. He was... Uh, in the Korean War, and he was shot and cut in half with the machine gun. So he spent the rest of his days in a wheelchair. He went to a healing program. He's in his wheelchair, 
they wouldn't let him get in line. Why? Because they know it ain't going to work. Yeah. They wouldn't, they, they put him in the back corner and kind of kept him, you know, and he's like, no, I want to get healed. And they're like, we'll get to you. You just sit right here. And they wouldn't just, yeah. So, so this case here, that in the case, it literally happened. Now watch verse 2. What is he going to say? Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. I mean, there's the test of that false prophet. The test is not whether he can produce a miracle or not. These guys did. The false prophets are going to. The test is what's the word of God say? What's the book say? See, you're going to... They're going to take the commandments, the word of God, and they're going to, that's what they are to use to test the prophet with when the guy says something or does something. Come back over to 1 John. And in 1 John, there are seven tests through 1 John that that believing remnant is going to be able to use to distinguish the false from the truth. They're going to be able to, these tests are going to be there so that they can come along and they can say, that's truth and that's error. That's true and that's error. And they're able to bounce that off of there, and that enables them to work themselves down through that tribulation and be okay. 1 John chapter 4. By the way, the seven tests, just so you know, okay? The first one is in chapter 1. And it's called the test of profession. Starts in chapter 1, verse 5, and runs down to 2.11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Then you have the test of the desire, the heart. Do you love the, do you love the Father or do you love the world? And that's in chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. Then you have the test of the true versus the false doctrine. And that's in the rest of chapter 2. Then you have the test of conduct, good versus bad works. Then, and that's in chapter, the end of chapter 2 down to chapter th- all of chapter 3. Then you have the test of discernment. That's the first half of chapter 4. Then you have the test of loving one another. Then you have the test of the new birth, and that's in chapter 5. Are you born of God or are you born of the flesh? Which one are you? So those tests, I need you in chapter 4. <laughs> Sorry, chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, verse 1, watch, watch what this, what, the test of discernment here between truth and error. What, what happens? Beloved, 4.1, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Notice carefully, try, believe not every spirit, because many false, what, prophets, those, that connection, this is a spiritual issue. Hereby, again, the verse isn't telling somebody to, to go figure out if someone's demon-possessed. That's how they usually use this verse, by the way, where you're supposed to go over there and talk to them and identify yourself and get out, <laughs> you know, poltergeist or what, whatever that stuff is. Okay, it's it's crazy when that in, in in Acts that guy's trying to cast out the devil, and he looks up and he says, "The Lord I know, and Paul I know, but who are you?" <laughs> Even the devils believe that the Lord was the Lord. Yes, you know uh, the sorcerer he's trying to boom, 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 and the guy goes, "Hey, the Lord I know, and Paul I know, but, you know who are you?" <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Verse 2, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. All right, let's know the Spirit of God. Every 
spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, now notice carefully, is come in the flesh, is of God. Notice the past tense of that. Is come. He came when? Back there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He came back there. So if the Spirit says, hey, you want to test that Spirit, the first thing you ask him is, did Christ come back there or is he here now? Verse 3, and every spirit that confesses not that Christ, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, and off you go. You see, the test is who's Christ, because who's in their midst in 1 John? Well, chapter 2, verse 18 says they're in the last days. This is where they're at. There sits the Antichrist, and what's he saying? I'm Jesus Christ. Didn't you just see me raised from the dead on the third day? I'm matching Scripture. So you go up, and by the way, there are many. If you turn back there to chapter 2, uh, 2.18, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. During the last days, and you know what, what are they doing? There's many of them out there saying, no, I'm Jesus Christ. No, I'm Jesus. So you test them. Hey. What's going on here? Are you Jesus Christ? Did Jesus Christ come in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or, or is he here now? And if they say, oh, no, he's here now, well, you pull out your zombie apocalypse gun and blow him away. <laughs> you get out of town. You leave him. Actually, you do what 2 John says, and you slam the door in their face, and you don't, you don't engage them anymore. You move on. Okay? So go back to Matthew 7, because... The clock's ticking, but we started late with all that foolishness earlier. Matthew 7. So these, guys, these wolves are going to show up in sheep's clothing. Then he starts verse 16. Because in verse 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 now, he's going to instruct them on how to identify them. Now, 1 John tests haven't shown up yet. They're coming. But that's the same period we're talking about. So here he says, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorn of thorns or figs of thistles? Well, the answer to that is no. Every, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. I got a note in my Bible. Martin Luther once said, to check the fruit, you shake the tree. And what falls out, that's what it is. So if you want to test the fruit, you go up there and shake the tree, see what falls out. So there's a testing here. Okay. By the way, if an apple falls out, what kind of tree do you got? An orange tree. I mean, come on. Didn't you? No. no, you got an apple tree. Okay. That's what you have. So these guys are, there's a by their fruits you shall know them thing here. By the way, this is used every Sunday in a lot of circles. It doesn't work today. Because we don't work. God didn't work in this way today. Okay? Now, there is activity that you can watch and see to know that someone's not obeying sound doctrine and walking correctly. But that's, more, that, that's not what we're talking about here. Verse 1, he says, judge not. Now, here, he's telling them to check their fruit. So you're not to be a judge, you're to be a fruit inspector. That's what he's ta telling these guys here. And, and again, you have to remember that that's what he's talking about. He, he's talking about an issue here of understanding who you're dealing with. And how you're going to do that is you're going to watch them, and you're going to watch what that First John 4 we just looked at. He says, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. There's a speaking and a doing, and it all lines up correctly. Nothing's missing in the order, okay? Because you can, honestly, folks, you can counterfeit the conduct. You can make it, you can fake it till you make it, as it said. But in the end, it'll come out when, in the water. Now watch verse 16. 
Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? <laughs> okay. Then you follow down the rest of in verse 17, 18, and 19 about every tree, the tree, the good tree, the bad tree, okay, and the fruit thereof. Thorns and thistles belong on a briar bush, okay? Grapes, where do they, where do they live on? A vine. The fig lives in a tree. It's a fig tree. And again, though there are types of the nation of Israel doctrinally. Go back to Judges 9. There's four trees that represent the nation of Israel. The last one is the bramble tree. That's where the thorns and the thistles sit, okay? There's the fig tree and the olive tree and, you know, and, the, and, and, the, and the vine and all that. So when you have all that in your understanding here, that little flock, that the true vine, is going up against the apostate vine. The vine is the national issue of Israel. And, and he says, hey, do men gather grapes of thistles, the apostate nation? By the way, if they do, verse 19, they get cast into the fire. That's what it says back there in Judges. Nine, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be hewn down and cast into the fire. See, there's a dispensational uh, feel here because now we come to, here's Christ, and what's he talking about? The kingdom's right there. It's at hand. Old Testament has been pushing everybody to kingdoms. It's, you know, hey, we got this promise of the kingdom. It's coming. It's coming. And now it's at hand. So there's a dispensational shift here. Because you got that apostate nation out there, they're using false prophets trying to deceive the, the, the elect and the, the believing remnant and all this stuff. And he's like, hey, you guys need to be ready to go in through that tribulation and this is what's coming your way. And how you're going to get these guys and understand who you're dealing with is look at their fruit. What are they producing? Check the words that come out of their mouth. Make sure it matches the book. Make sure it matches the doctrine. Make sure it's right where you're supposed to be. That's why the writer of Hebrews will say, we're not going to go back to the doctrines of Christ. We're going to move on to perfection now. We've got all that settled. We're moving on. So pick it up let's go. That's why he'll say in, in Hebrews, the end of 5 and first part of 6, they should have been the teachers but they had to have been taught first. They should have been right where they're supposed to, but they can't, so we got to re-educate them, and let's get on with it. So the way to identify these false preachers, prophets, is the same way that we identify them today, and that's does their word match the word of God. In our case, the word of God rightly divided. Does it match? If it doesn't match, then we know who they are, we mark them, and we move on. Verse 20. By the way, just so you don't understand, I'm not skipping 17, 18, 19. It's very self-explanatory. There's just, hey, a good fruit, good tree's going to have good fruit, bad tree's going to have bad, and the bad's going to get thrown into the judgment. So you've got the believing remnant, i.e. the good tree, producing good fruit. You've got the apostate Israel, the bad tree, producing bad fruit, the good tree is going to go into the kingdom. We're going to see that next now. And that bad tree is going to get thrown over there into the lake of fire and burn up. Verse 20. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. You can check them by their doctrine, by their word. You can look at them. You can see them. You can see what's going on. But now watch verse 21 because he's going to give an illustration here of all of this. Not everyone that saith unto me. Notice, by the way, that first test in 1 John is the test of profession. You read 1 John chapter 1, you start in verse 5, and you read down through in the middle of 2, and it says, though we say, and yet we do this. We say, and we do that. We say that God is light, and yet we're in the dark, you know, in profession. What are they saying to you? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. The issue is the kingdom. 
He's not talking about dying and going to heaven. It's not talking about getting into the body of Christ. The issue here for these folks is getting into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Notice, doeth the works. They're going, the believing remnant will do the good works. They will do the works of righteousness. They're going to do what is needed for them to do. That apostate, that false is going to come up and not do that. Verse 22, watch them. Many will say to me in that day, and again, that day, that's that tribulation day out there, second coming. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Woo! Look at what they say. Look at all this stuff we did for you. And what does the Lord say? I didn't know you. Hit the road. Depart from me your iniquity. You see, that's some evaluation of their works, isn't it? <laughs> when the Lord himself just says, depart from me. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah, they're looking for the kingdom on earth. Well, the kingdom of heaven, that's that generic term. Remember when we, when we started Matthew, that Matthew uses thy kingdom which is in heaven. It's supposed to be here on the earth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, they are looking for that literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. That's what I'm saying. These guys aren't looking to go to heaven. They're looking for heaven to come. Look over... Well, remind me of Hebrews 11. We'll get there. Okay? Again, here in verse 22 and 23, you know, he says, those are wicked works, man. And he says, I have no part in them. Now watch, go back to verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Now, now notice in verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. There's an issue of hearing the word. Faith cometh by hearing the word and then going and doing it. Okay? Now, usually what we usually used to say was that's faith plus works or faith that works. Either way is good. It's okay. It's James, the James 2 idea there of faith without works is dead. It works for them. Now, don't go run somebody over to Romans 4 and try to beat them into all that. Just, again, rightly divide the word. We're talking to Israel. What do they have? They, have, they first have to do what? Do, hear the word. Have faith in the word to them which is going to tell them to go and do some. That's why in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, the second coming, that, that issue of the day of the Lord that's coming out there in the future uh, event. When that happens, what are they going to do? They're going to say, hey, I prophesied in thy name. I did this. We, we you know, <laughs> haven't, didn't we do this? Uh, verse 22, many will say, to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? You know Saul prophesied in the Lord's name? Back there in 1 Samuel 18? Saul was a, he was a rat. He was a beast, actually, in Chronicles when the Lord, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 2 Samuel, okay, are history of humanity, the way humanity looks at history. Chronicles is the way God looks at that same history. God says they're beasts. They're sinners. They're man looks up there and says, man, wasn't Saul, he was the greatest king we've ever had. Saul's your typical politician, promise you everything and deliver nothing. 
Actually, it was David that when he was made king, that when it came in and did everything Saul promised, he took and, and accomplished. That's what, so not every, <laughs> the people that are going to preach and prophesy in the name of the Lord, but God didn't what? He didn't send them. He didn't commission them. They're, they are workers of iniquity. They've done all these works, wonderful works, yet they're counterfeits. That's why in verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Mm -hmm. If they're saved, if, if you trust that Christ died for your sins, you're saved. You just are you're in that ignorant brethren category. You just don't know the next piece. You're going to be raptured. You're going to go to heaven. Because most of the time, when the reason that they don't see right division on the preacher's side is because that little thing in Timothy about filthy lucre's sake, it cost them. It'll cost them power. It'll cost them control. It'll cost them in, in the offering box. Because once you understand right division and you start preaching the sound doctrine, all that comes up. If you're not under the law, then you then what are you doing? Yeah, I don't have dominion over your faith. I'm a helper of your joy. Well, then for a preacher who's been doing that all, all along, that's really hard to get rid of and to let go. And to do it and to do it. Now, there are some that have done it, yes, but it's, it's very difficult because they can no longer control the people. It's all, yeah, well, that's all that they learn in seminary is how to control it. So when, when I, um, when you think about, yeah, when you think about that, it, in this case here, they're not worried about that here in Matthew. But for us today, yeah, for us today, it's a sad thing. Yeah, exactly. So when he says here, ye that work iniquity, in verse 23, there's a there's there's an issue about that. If you come back to, well, let me say it like this: when he talks there about iniquity, he's talking about the 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 program of the Antichrist. Come back to Second Thessalonians two. I hesitated there because of the clock ticking back there. So the night is young, and the the day is far spent. 2 Thessalonians 2, if you look at verse number 3, this is the Paul, this is Paul, this is the Paul, this is Paul talking to us today, the church, the body of Christ, about the Antichrist and about the tribulation period and what's going to be happening there, the fact that you and I aren't going to go through this, but you still need to understand that issue. Notice in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except the, there come a falling away first. The man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the career of the Antichrist. First half of his career, for three years, three and a half years, he is the man of sin. He is the politician. He is a man. He's hum human. Okay? He comes in with speech that is smooth as butter he makes these jokers on tv look like nothing he's got them he's able to walk in command the room and convert you know three quarters of the room just like that he, he's a politician but then he goes into the son of perdition when he dies he's assassinated in the midst of the week when that event happens well what happens when a man dies his soul goes to either heaven or hell this case, the guy's soul is going to go to hell. They lay his body out in the state. Three days later, the, uh, a beast out of the bottomless pit comes up, enters him, and he sits up. He's a son of perdition. Now watch verse 4. Who, there, there's a, just what it says, a falling away. There's a, there is a movement that day, for that day, when, so in verse 2, 
There's some people saying that the day of Christ, that's a reference to the rapture, that they've missed the rapture. But what they've done is, is that they've taken the day of Christ, the title, and they put it over on the day of the Lord. And they said, you missed the rapture, which they've already been saying. That happened over there, and this is, what, this is where you're at. But Paul says, wait a minute, that day shall not come. The day of the Lord isn't going to come until some things happen first. There's an order to this. The first thing is there's a falling away. There's apostasy within the nation of Israel. That's what we're studying in Matthew 7. There's an apostate situation happening. Then the man of sin is going to be revealed, which is the Antichrist, the signing of the covenant there in the 70th week of Daniel. But what I want you to see is verse 4. This man, as the son of perdition, he's going to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's the Antichrist right there in verse 4. So everybody's all got their hair all done up about the Muslims and everything. The guy you got to worry about is this guy, because he's going to make those Muslims just bow right on down to him. He's going he's gonna to have that much control. Verse 5, remember ye not? Well, drop down to verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And when he says the mystery of iniquity, iniquity, which is verse 4, t- took on a mystery form. What's God doing today? Preaching the what? The mystery. So iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That's the, the church. We're holding all this back, which is crazy why they don't understand and preach Paul, because we're holding back the Antichrist. We're holding back all that. We're out of the way. And then, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Now watch, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion. There's the Antichrist. They shall, that they should believe a lie. They had the chance. They rejected it. God turned them right on over to the Antichrist. The thing is, <laughs> is that mystery of iniquity, what can they do in, down there in verse 8 and 9? Signs and wonders and healing programs. And they get on with it, and they can heal. And I'll be honest with you, I understand the, the want to have a healing program today and get healed. But I'll tell you what, understand, coming to understand 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, 17, and 18, coming to understand 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, God Almighty replaced that healing program with something far better. Why in the world would you want your toe healed when if you died, you're going to go to heaven and be absent from the body, present with the Lord? Everybody, heal me, heal me, heal me. And in reality, when you come to understand the word of God rightly divided, he replaced it with a much better program. You know, I mean, you think about, I think about the folks in the past who've died here, part of us, you know, when when Brother Ed Downey, when he was sick, I would go visit him in the hospice home there and everything, and he'd just say, Lord, take me. What are you waiting for? Why? why I don't want to be here anymore. You know, he goes, Rick, if I could do it, I'd have done it two days ago. You know, his kids didn't understand it. They didn't like the doctrine. They loved the Lord in their denomination. They didn't, they didn't like the doctrine of grace. So I'm sitting there going, well, you know, you know, Ed, and they're like, well, you know, he'll take you when he wants you. And Ed's like, nope, I'm, I want to go. And I'm like, Ed, I want you to go, you know, but it's far better. Come back to Matthew 7, they don't have that, see. They're, they, it's, a, it's a physical healing for a physical people 
who are going to inherit a physical kingdom. So they have to have that physical issue. My point is in all of this, is there are going to be these false prophets that are going to be out there healing people and doing wonders and don't fall for it. Guess what? Same thing today. People see all this so-called stuff going on. Don't. What are we going to use? We're going to use the word to then come along and try out what's happening. Okay? You follow that? All right, back to verse 23. You guys okay? We're not quite on an hour yet, but we're getting there. Verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now some will take verse 23 here and say there's a, it's a contradiction. Because the Bible says that God knows everybody, and now the Bible says that God knows no one. He doesn't know them. So, you know, the, the book says he knows everything and everybody, but yet that verse he just said, I never knew you. Well, why does he say it? What's going on here? So what does he mean when he says, I never knew you? There's basically two, two ways of look, two answers. First, the word know or knew can be in the sense of knowing someone intimately, someone personally, friendly. You know, I, I know you guys. We've had lunch, we've had dinner, we've, you know, whatever. Also, you can use that word know as in just kind of a general sense of knowing of someone. I know of the President of the United States, but I don't know him. Same, okay. Here, God, God does see, he does know everything, but here he, it's used in the sense that he didn't know them on an intimate, personal basis. I didn't send you. <laughs> I didn't commission you. I did these guys, a little flock, because I what? I know them. I don't know you. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know who, and, and by the way, you, you know that he knows everybody, because he sits there and lists everybody, <laughs> talks about every, all the Gentile nations and everything. So when, when he comes along here, he's like, look, I know the little flock. I personally, intimately know them. I don't know you guys. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know anything about you there. I never knew you. And again, he's talking about in that sense of a relationship, uh, uh, that intimate position of friendship. But these guys, he says, I didn't send you. You weren't my representatives. You weren't my guys. Now come over to Luke 13 and see the comparative passage here. The parallel passage. Luke chapter 13. You guys doing okay? All right. Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 24. Luke 13, 24. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. That's the idea. I don't know where you're coming from. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Worded a little different than Matthew 7. But it's, look guys, I, oh, look Lord, look at all this stuff we've done in your name. And he says, I don't know where you, are, I don't know from whence you come. I don't know you. You are not the little flock. You're that apostate nation. And again, that's where he's at. Now, come back to Matthew 7. Okay? The little flock is going to have that kind of situation on their hands. 
and when when that situation sits there on them, it's going to be a they're going to have to figure out the counterfeit and figure it out quickly. Okay? Now, verse 24. Therefore, again, on the basis of what we've been through since verse 13, really. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Again, they must be hearers and doers of the word. They, they have to hear it, then they, ha they have to, that, by the way, that's James 1, <laughs> okay? Be, are you a doer of the word and not a hearer only? No, you need to be a hearer and a doer, and that's where they're at. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So the believer is going to be the wise builder. The foolish builder is going to be the guys that are rejecting Christ. The rain descended, and the floods came up, and the winds blew, and built upon uh, and, and beat upon the ha that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It's a pretty clear illustration. There's some things going on in it that you just got to pay attention to. Who is the rock? Christ. Okay? But the question then is who is the house? That becomes a question. In, in, in the thinking. Well, come over to Hebrews 3. Because when you think about the house, I like it, who built his house upon a rock. We'll start in, in Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting, the writer, how you get kind of some ideas here. That's why everybody's got a little idea of who, who wrote Hebrews because of some of this. Okay? But is there, are, we, are we, church, the body of Christ, part of a heavenly calling? Yes, we are, but not this one. <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right? Is Jesus Christ our apostle? No, Paul is our apostle, okay? Is he our high priest? No, we don't have a high priest. But the writer of the book of, the, of Hebrews, it, it, it's really Christ. That's who wrote it, and therefore. But notice, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, okay? You see that? Now come over to chapter 11 of Hebrews. Hebrews 11. What is their heavenly calling? Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise and in the strange company, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. What's Abraham looking for? A city made by God, right? Verse, 11, verse 14. By the way, verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Verse 14, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Verse 16, But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he that hath prepared for them a what? A city. 
The city that Abraham was looking for, where was it? In heaven, sitting in the New Jerusalem. It's sitting in heaven. It's been promised to him since back in Genesis, and it was going to come and sit over there in that land, the land of Palestine, we later know. And that was a promise. So he's looking for a city. He's looking for a house. Now go back to Hebrews 3. By the way, that gets to what, what Paul was asking earlier. These guys operated by faith, period. And then, so by the way, every, all the stuff we're talking about in Matthew 7 is national. It's not individual people. It's national. Matthew 3. Go back. I'm, I'm sorry, Hebrews 3. My bad. Hebrews 3. Now watch verse 2. So we've got a heavenly calling, that's that new Jerusalem, the promise of, it, of, of the kingdom coming, the heavenly city coming, the kingdom of heaven coming, sitting here on the earth, okay? We have a, an apostle and a high priest, by the way, notice they're all capitalized, so that's all titles, talking about Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all, what? His house. So Moses has a house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So the man there is Christ Jesus. More glory inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath made honor, I'm sorry, hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that builded all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house. Now watch, whose house are we? Who's the house? That believing remnant. That little flock. Who are, that's, we are his house. Now we'll keep reading. If, ye hold, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope until firm unto the end. What does he say in Matthew 24? He that endure to the end shall be saved. To the end, to the end of what? The tribulation. So when you come back to Matthew 7, the house, the rock is Christ and the house is the little flock. And when the guy builds on the rock, Christ, and he's building the right house, when the rains come down, a picture of tribulation, when the floods come up, a picture of tribulation, what's going to happen to that house? It's going to stand because it's on the right foundation. The right foundation is Jesus Christ, the true vine, the rock, the true Israel. Can you follow that? Okay. When the rains come down and the floods come up, by the way, Matthew 24, he says, as it was in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? The rain came down and the floods come up. <laughs> okay. So shall the Son of Man be. That's what that verse in Matthew 24 says. So what happened when the rains come down and the floods come up, then guess what happens? Well, the wise builder, the believer, everything's going to be secure and good to go. But in verse 26 and verse 27, the guy that rejected him, guess what's going to happen? Over there into the lake of fire they go. They're destroyed. Okay, you follow that? Now verse 28. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, verse, by the way, verse 26, 27, 25, 26, 27, that's the application of the doctrine in the passage. If you're going to maintain on the right rock, Christ, the right message, paying attention to what's going on around you, not getting sucked off into it. When the trib hits, the tribulation time period hits, you'll be good to go. But if you get off the bubble, if you get off the rock, you get over here and get sucked into some of this, it's just going to be destruction. Now, verse 28 and 29, are, this is a great passage. 
He didn't teach them like the scribes. Now, a scribe is someone who wrote down the scripture. Okay? So he's an academic. Christ taught the truth clearly and plainly with authority where they could understand it. Not like the scribes who couldn't make them understand it. You know why? Because they use that academic, they use that $10 words. You want to see a scribe read a, if you go take a commentary and you read the commentary, you're reading a scribe. You see, if, if, if all the big words, you got to go look those words up in the dictionary to find out what he's talking about. The Lord didn't do that. He just put it right across the plate for him, hit a home run. Now, we're going to pick up in Matthew 8, but I just want you to catch what's happening. When he was, Matthew 8, 1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. If you go back to chapter 5, verse 1, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now, when he's come down from the mountain, so he preached on the mountains, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now he's going to come down, and a great multitude's going to follow him. Starting from here now, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, if you look at Matthew 8, Verse 2, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. From here now we're going to see a series of miracles, and, and things are going to take off. Fast action. There's going to be some movement here. Now, what you have to understand in that movement, we'll say this again next time, is that the book of Matthew is not laid out in a chronological order. Okay? It's not like this event happened, then this event, then this event. So rather, it, it, it's, it's laid out in a manner to, to come take a number of different things that happened at different times, and he lays them out for you to, to examine and to look at. And uh, he's laying the evidence in that Christ is the king. But now we're going to move to miracle time. We're off the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're going to move into him doing what Luke 8.1 says, preaching and showing the good tidings of the kingdom. So he's going to do that, okay? So we're a little, little longer than an hour, but uh, that's okay. But I did want to get to chapter 8. <laughs> but that's the Sermon on the Mount. Again, doctrinally, not us at all. There's some spiritual applications that we can take, and the only reason why we can take them is because Paul does it with us. In the end... It belongs to the nation of Israel, that believing remnant, that little flock, to describing the character and the lifestyle of that kingdom saint. The person that's going to be living in the kingdom will live this way. they got to get through the tribulation. This is how they do that, and off they go. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.